Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Just a quick thing before we begin today's podcast. Are unpleasant symptoms of digestion getting you down? Bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, indigestion, IBS, bowel dysfunction, SIBO, colitis? Well, We are now accepting new applications for our group physiotherapy program. To learn more, go to ecophysio.com forward slash group and submit an application and we will get in contact with you once we receive it to see if it's a good fit for our program. Welcome back everybody to the podcast. So this is part two for our discussion on the polyvagal theory and welcome back, Robin, uh, my friend, my colleague, back to the podcast. So welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now we're gonna we're continuing our discussion. So I think, like, while we're still speaking theoretically, I think this is going to be a little bit more like application and how we're kind of using it um, in our practices, and you know how it can help inform us as you know physiotherapists or um, body based you know, therapists, but I want you to, I know you have a quote. And so I feel like we should open with that and then like, we'll dive in. Perfect. Okay. So this quote is from Dr. Gabor Mate and it's, it's actually on his Instagram for his compassionate inquiry, um, training that he does. So it's about trauma and it says the end result of the resolution of trauma and the end result of the healing process is that we recognize that we are whole and undamaged. We connect with our essence, the true self. We recognize that this part of ourselves is always free, clean, and whole. I like that quote um, because I feel like that's my goal (laughs) as a physio is to help people realize that they are whole and they are good and their body is working with them, not against them at, and at their very core, like they are enough. And so I like that quote. That's my, my goal is to help them understand where their body's coming from and reconnect them so that they're on the same page and the same team as their body and to empower them to realize that they can do a lot of this themselves. Absolutely. And I was thinking to myself, like the body's not the enemy. Mm. It's just working really, really hard to like keep things moving and keep things going. So you can, you know, it's working really, really hard. And, you know, how can we reconnect and listen and learn to listen in a different language. Like this is my whole concept on body intelligence. Um, like our body is very intelligent. It has a tremendous amount of wisdom 
and Mm -hmm. information, but like, we need to tap into that. We need to find ways to trust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I have the privilege of learning about how the body heals a wound. And Mm -hmm. so we understand that inflammation is not bad. I think Mm -hmm. it was like Bram Jam too was talking about how like inflammation is our friend. And, you know, I think we were, he, maybe he was talking about the rice principles or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't remember, but you know, inflammation isn't bad. In fact, Mm -hmm. it's making sure that whatever has been damaged doesn't get infected is, you know, stops the bleeding, you know, starts removing the damaged tissues because you don't want damaged tissues just sitting and dying there. Like you want it to get out. And unfortunately there's an uncomfortable process to that because it's also protective. It's like, if the body didn't hurt, you would move around. And how is that wound going to heal if you keep reopening the wound? So, so pain is not always a bad thing. It has a very, yeah, yeah, it has such an important physiological process, but we've been like fed this, like it's a pathology and you must get rid of it. And, you know, rather than like, how do I work with my body? How do I support it to feel good and safe? So it can just focus on healing. But Mm -hmm. if I'm in threat, Mm -hmm. it is not wise for my body to use all its energy resources for healing when Mm -hmm. there's still a threat. Right. So I think that's a big myth is that a life without pain is the ideal life. But like without pain, you wouldn't know not to push it. You wouldn't know if you had a twisted ankle, you wouldn't know to not to go running in the woods on uneven ground two days after. If you didn't have pain, you wouldn't know not to touch a burner. And at the same time, from a like a holistic perspective, we can all think of like losing a loved one or heartbreak and it, it physically hurts. <laughs> And that type of pain, a life without that type of pain, it also probably means that you haven't had a a life of love, right? Like pain is important. It, 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 there's a humanness. And, and I was thinking about this in our previous discussion around like also emotions and like, we have this idea that like being, you know, enlightened or, you know, reaching life where nothing ever stresses you. You never feel sad. You're never angry. All you ever feel is sunshine, roses, and lollipops. That is not the human journey, Mm -hmm. right? Like those emotions and those things that are very difficult. I'm not saying that like that I would love to experience them, but Mm -hmm. it's in those moments that we learn our resilience. We, sorry, I should say they are opportunities if we take up the work that needs to be done. They're they're a tremendous opportunity for connection, for asking for help, for taking a break, for having breakthroughs and innovation and, you know, slowing things down and realizing what's important in life. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are very, very deep wis like there's very deep wisdom in our emotions. And so where culturally also, it's like not appropriate to be angry. You shouldn't cry. How many of us women like hold back our tears? Cause we're like, Oh God, don't cry. Don't cry. Now I literally am in courses <laughs> with 500 people being coached by somebody. And I'm literally like bawling my eyes out. I just don't try to stop it. 
but I also feel safe within that community because the whole, you know, whole premise is that like we, it, it's not bad to feel things. Well, and we with the have- right support with the right support. And yes. so trauma, if we don't have the right supports is a problem, right? And I would argue that the majority of us, maybe not all of us, and it's changing as we like evolve in generations, but like a lot of us were taught when we were young that like anger, tantrums, crying, that was not a really good emotion to show other people. So we held it in, right? So of course we're all scared to do it because that's that was never really safe for us. It wasn't acceptable, right? If we wanted to um, be someone that people wanted to be around, you didn't show those things. So we've associated like certain emotions with bad things. My son has this book, I think it's called I'm Happy Sad. And I actually love it because it talks about how we always have, almost always have more than one emotion. And often it's the exact opposite. So like the example they give is, is when your mom comes to pick you up from school and you're playing with your friends, you're happy to see her and you're happy playing with your friends, but you're sad that you have to leave them. So they do go together, right? Like you're so happy playing with them. That's the happy and you have to leave and that's sad, but you're going with your mom and you love her and you're happy. Like it all goes together. You can't really have one without the other. Yeah, I know. Tangent yeah. of the emotions. There yeah, go. tangent. tangent well, <laughs> it can't be ignored, right? And and oh. I, I think the, the thing that I want to kind of highlight with respect to that quote is that like, because you feel those emotions does not mean that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Like you're whole and complete. Part of being whole and complete actually is to be able to experience a spectrum of emotions. And I think it's Brie, Brienne Brown that talks about like, if you cut off one emotion, you're literally cutting them all off. Yeah. Potentially. Right. Yeah. The Alice of the heart is very cool. It talks about all the emotions. Yeah, exactly. You it's, Shelly Prosco is a really great, she's a physio that's working in polyvagal theory and, and yoga as well. And she said something on a course I was with her and she's like, I try and say to myself when I do something like that, oh, how human of me. Like, yeah. it's true. It's human. That's just part of our strength and struggle, right? It, yeah. Yeah. Whole lot of name dropping happening. You yeah. have to tag all these people into the <laughs> podcast so that they know how much we love and appreciate their work exactly. that they do and how much impact they're having. Cause sometimes they probably question, is this landing for anybody? Is anybody caring about what I'm saying? And so this yeah. is our like message to like all of the names that we've talked about. Like this is the impact you're having on us and our practice yeah. and our evolution as we yeah. expand our, expand our knowledge yeah. So let's talk about why, did, why, did, why as a physio, do you feel we as physios should know this theory? Yeah. Well, so from a trauma informed care perspective, if we look at that, we know from, this is my perspective, 
we know that the majority of people, like 70% of people have experienced some sort of trauma. And that's according to the research, which is probably an underreport. And I would say like just an example of the past two years, we've experienced all of us a collective trauma of the pandemic. We couldn't run away from it. We couldn't fight it. So we just had to numb and deal with it. We all have experienced trauma with that. On a bigger scheme, the majority of people have trauma in addition to that. And I would suggest that because we know trauma and stress also really um, is, has a dose response with pain, the majority of people that we're seeing as physios likely have trauma. So I would argue that we should be treating everyone that comes into our clinic with trauma-informed care because it will benefit everyone. And even on the small chance that someone has not experienced any trauma, it's still helpful. It's still helpful to learn about the nervous system and how it works for when you're, let's say you're a parent and your child runs out in front of a car and you just like you run and get them and you you're not able to complete the response like it's helpful right if you're in a car accident and your adrenaline rush is there but you can't run away because you're in the middle of the road there's it's applicable to many situations which aren't necessarily trauma so the other aspects of trauma-informed care that I know, so it's talking about like educating them about how our, our stress and trauma situation or um, response works. It's giving them choice and collaborating with them. It's taking a strength and resilience-based approach. So like focusing on the good things. It's fostering opportunities for them to make choice and empowering them to choose for themselves. So this is, I think everyone should have that care. Yeah. Like regardless of whether or not you've had trauma, that's wonderful care. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> There's my rant. Um, Stay tuned. <laughs> I had a thought. There was a thought and I was going to, I got really excited about sharing the thought. Oh, okay. So yeah, here was the thought I wanted to share because when I started looking at, like, I've also read uh, Kimberly Ann Johnson's book, um, Peter Levine's work. Obviously, I'm in Peter Levine's trauma training program. Right. So we think of trauma as only being like the ACEs, for example. We -hmm. think of trauma as like, I've been through a war, or I've been through some abuse, or I've, um, you know, had something that's like, traumatic, like a natural disaster. Like we think of something big. Mm -hmm. And in fact, trauma can happen from the smallest of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even let's say in a birth, the birth Mm -hmm. may have seemingly gone by Mm -hmm. anybody's standards as that went really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when the person is expressing that they're having some struggle with processing their birth and we're like, yeah, but you're fine. The baby's fine. Like, what are you, what are you complaining about or stressing about? Or why are you being like that? Yeah. That's actually kind of invalidating somebody's experience, which can be re-traumatizing because we make the assumption 
that something big has to be traumatizing. And in fact, for an individual, it could be something really small. It could be like, Mm -hmm. I fell down as a five-year-old child and nobody was there to pick me up. And I, you know, got hurt. Yeah. And like, that's that, that could be a trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so we can't, we need to be careful when we're list, like when we're listening, not to have our own judgment and bias on what is or is not trauma. And we Mm -hmm. can't always assume that somebody who's been through abuse Mm -hmm. or something that they are traumatized. Maybe they've done a ton of work on that. Maybe they had this bad thing happen in their life, but had a, you know, maybe they went through a natural disaster, but Mm -hmm. had tremendous amount of community support. And, you know, Mm -hmm. collectively they worked through that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. here I am thinking, oh, this person's traumatized. You know, so we want to be careful and understand that there is a wide spectrum of experiences and even twins going through the same experience, one can be traumatized while the other is not. So exactly. And so you're right. I think we need to, it's safer from my perspective to assume that everyone has had trauma and to treat them in a trauma-informed care manner than it is to assume that it's not trauma. And we can sort of, I don't think it's negative to assume that someone has had trauma when maybe they haven't, as long as your care is trauma-informed. So we're not focusing on like, asking more questions about the trauma. We don't need them to even disclose the trauma to us in order to provide this informed care. And so that's the difference, right? Like, yeah, you shouldn't ever get in the trouble of being, of assuming someone is traumatized when they're not, because we're not making any assumptions. We are collaborating with the client and taking their lead we're giving them choice always. So if they don't want to do something, that's fine. That's their choice. And so everything that we're doing is good care for even if you haven't had trauma. Yeah. And I mean, from my, my training, like the, my somatic experiencing training, like what I've learned is I actually don't have to, I don't need all the details because I'm not treating the trauma. I'm not treating the past experience. I'm not going into it. We're not, we're not trying to process or into like, I'm not going necessarily there. So I may ask if they have something, but what Mm -hmm. I'm really looking at is what is their nervous system? What is their physiology doing Mm -hmm. right here in this present moment? So Mm -hmm. if I'm in an assessment and I have a client coming in and they have kind of a series of events that have happened and they have pain, they have bladder pain, pain with, you know, intimacy, all of this. And they're telling me the story and I'm looking at their hands gripping and I'm looking at their posture. I'm listening to how they're speaking because oftentimes they'll be like, and this happened. And then the doctor did this. And then, then this happened and then this, and then this, and then, oh my gosh. And then this happened. And then the, you know, I, I, I'm also paying attention to my nervous system as I'm listening and I'm going, okay, I'm really holding my breath here and I'm really feeling tension in my body. I wonder if maybe now, you know, I wonder if I could just pause them for a moment to just be like, you know, you've, it sounds like you've been through a lot here. I wonder if you would be open to 
you know, and then it's, it's that permit, like the permissive that they teach us is like, I wonder if you would be interested in exploring this, or I wonder if you would like to try an experiment or, um, you know, I'd like to try something either this or this, like what, what's, what resonates. And, and sometimes I'll just have clients kind of pause in the middle and I'll just say, Hey, I wonder like, what are you feeling inside? What's, mm-hmm. what's happening? What do you notice in your body right now? So you're reconnecting them with their body. Yeah. Which is like a step towards healing that disconnect. Right. Yeah. And just, you know, giving an opportunity for slowing down. Yes. Giving me as the therapist an opportunity also to mm-hmm. slow down the, the history because there's just so much coming at me that it's like, okay, let, I'm having a difficult time orienting. Mm-hmm. Like, where do I go next? Or what's the next question? Or what, what am I not hearing? So sometimes mm-hmm. being able to, you know, slow things down to see what's happening with the physiology and understanding that that physiological response from a polyvagal theory is like, okay, they're responding this way. What's the threat? Where, where are the, what, what might this be about, mm-hmm. you know, so that I can help support something different to happen. Right. Two things there. Exactly. And so first, when you slow down and you regulate yourself, and I know, you know, this, but I'm going to narrate it for the, people yeah, perfect. Um, you're co-regulating. So then when you slow down, you are giving the example, let's say, right. When, when there was out in the fields, you were talking about in the Savannah and they heard something and they looked around to the people around them for safety cues. If you are interviewing them and you're all tense because they've, you've mirrored them, then they're going to look around and see you. And they're going to be like, Oh, it's, it's not quite safe here. Whereas if you have now taken the pause and you've calmed your breath down and you've slowed your voice down and you've paused a little bit just to slow the whole thing down. When they look around, they're going to see safety cues in you. And so that will impact them too. Right? So it seems little, but it's actually massive because you've given them the cue of safety. And if that's on the assessment, then you're just taking the first step to really establishing a relationship of collaboration and trust and co-regulation. Yeah. I had, um, last week lady, she's retired and, uh, she was coming in for, I think prolapse symptoms, something. And, um, you know, I was asking about birth history and she was expressing like she had some difficult, you know, difficult births. And she seemed um, like she wasn't overly activated or anything, but I just, I took a moment at that time after she sort of finished saying what she needed to say. And I paused and, and I kind of, I put my hand kind of on my chest and I, and I looked at her and I paused and I said, you know, something to the effect of like, I'm hearing that that was really a difficult time for you. Mm-hmm. And then I just stayed quiet mm-hmm. for a little while longer, which can be really uncomfortable for, uh, you know, for us. And, you know, we pause and we collectively just like looked each other in the eye and I kind of mm-hmm. had a tilt in my head. So again, 
you know, my, the way I was holding my body was to say, I, I see you and I hear you. Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel some of, you know, because it, again, that neuroception, like I could feel like she wasn't upset about it, but I could feel there was, you know, something there that needed an acknowledgement. And so we paused and, you know, we, we took that time and, you know, slowly then came back and moved forward with the subjective. And then, you know, I told her how to get ready and I came back into the room and I had not known this because she was retired and came back into the room and she just said, can I just tell you something? And I was like, yeah, sure. She's like, you know, in my previous life, when I was working, I, I was a social worker. And I just wanted to tell you that you really made me feel safe. And I, and I was like, oh, you know, like for me, that was like, as a physio, like as a physio, like that really um, felt good to know that I showed up in a way because of this work, doing something so simple as really just pausing to acknowledge and give space if they needed to say something more. Sometimes Mm -hmm. my clients, you know, when I take the time to just sort of validate and I pause and I, you know, try to really just connect with Mm -hmm. them in Mm -hmm. presence, Mm -hmm. they'll start to cry Mm -hmm. and then they'll apologize. And I will explain that please don't apologize. Like this is, this is the connection. This is, we heal in connection as well. Right. Through co-regulation. And so then we sit with that together. And I think as therapists, as physios, sometimes we get uncomfortable with other people's emotions as well. But like, if you're in the pelvic health realm, you're going to, you're going to have emotion come. And if you're uncomfortable in your body posture and you're like, oh my God, what do I, what do I do? Or what did I say? That's not a good, that's not going to be a cue of safety because now we're not comfortable. They're not going to be comfortable. Totally. And, and I think again, to take some of the, like, because looking at your practice, it can be very like, oh man, I'm doing everything wrong or whatever. Of course we don't have, it's hard for us to create that safety because we're often in a rush. We're trying to get a certain number of questions answered. Perhaps we have like a limited time with clients. And so of course there's not that time to take the pause because you feel like then you're not gonna complete the assessment. And so one of the things that really changed my practice was to actually take out the physical assessment part of my assessment. So I only talk, it's all virtual for my first assessment. And then my second one is when I might assess physically. It completely took the pressure of time off me. And so the first appointment is just hearing their story and helping them co-regulate and establishing trust and safety with the client. And I needed to take off the pressure of a physical assessment for me to regulate myself Mm. so that I could then regulate them with them rather. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'll just add also like, I'm, you know, doing my assessments back in, in, in person and I take 60 minutes 
Yeah. And while they are physically present, um, as I go through my um, assessment process, sometimes I don't actually start with any physical touch. I, I might do like a pelvic floor connection exercise where I'm doing something like, let's just connect to your body and see how that feels. Exactly. Right. Um, sometimes I do us, you know, I do a physical exam. Sometimes I do one or two things. Sometimes mm-hmm. I do none and I explain, or, or sometimes I pause and I give choice and it's like, you know, I feel like there's a lot for us here to discuss. Yes. So I want to just present like, would it be more helpful for us to continue our discussion so that yeah. we get a full understanding and I really get an understanding of your experience. And then we do the assessment, the physical part mm-hmm. on the next visit, or mm-hmm. would you like to pause here mm-hmm. and maybe we can do one or two, th- you know, one or two things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we'll continue the discussion next time. So there's that choice piece that comes in where we don't have to be the ones, you know, trying to figure out what that person's expectation is checking all these boxes. And that's the thing. It's not bad. I didn't mean to imply that it's bad to do the physical more. What my point was, was that I had to make that choice for me because that took my pressure off. And I would argue that if you are wanting to do trauma-informed care and really go by the polyvagal theory, then you need to take care of yourself first. You have to be percent. Yeah. Because if you aren't able to be regulated and you're not able to calm your nervous system, it is a lot harder to influence someone else's nervous system who's in that room with you. And so it sounds like you have created a safe option for your assessment. And for me, safety was in virtual and that works best for me, right? Like, and that's okay. And there's no right or wrong. No, it's whatever makes you be able to regulate the most. Mm -hmm. And so you taking that pause, you were able to regulate your nervous system in the moment. And I would guess that in the past, before you did all this, you would have come out of that assessment tense in your shoulders, jaw, probably clenched, maybe a headache because you were so that, that fight or flight response was there and you were still trying to get all the questions out and trying to, trying to control the conversation. I remember trying so hard to control the conversation as a student and like trying to do that created tension in me and I burnt out. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. The burnout. Well, and let's not let, like, I I also want to just highlight that part of my burnout process with trying so hard to be quote unquote, a good physio. I want to do the best thing ever. I need to do all the things and I need to have all the right answers. And I, I get, I was getting so wound up. Like I had to pre-prepare. I mean, I still do, but with more relaxation, it's more like, I just want to remember what I did with my client last, but like, I had to pre-plan. And if it went outside of what I had pre-planned, like I would get this like stress response about, okay, well, what do I do next? And how do I best serve them? And in the process of doing my own trauma work and my own self-regulation work, because it came down to, I was feeling that I wasn't good enough or, 
whatever the core beliefs that were coming up in me. So I needed to start working on those core beliefs and start learning also the techniques of presence and, and, um, you know, checking in with my own body to be like, okay, just take a breath here and, you know, be in relation with this client Mm-hmm. and be in conversation with this client rather than me trying to think about what am I going to ask next or what am I going to do next is actually like we have to get comfortable being quiet sometimes right like and listening without pre-planning our answer and that requires trust we need to trust that the nervous system also will unfold in the way that it needs to unfold and that you can't force a nervous system to do something. It's like, how do I just, what is going to best support? And sometimes I ask my client, you know, in this moment, what, what do you feel you need? Is there something you feel you need? How can I help you? And so now it's like asking questions. Sometimes my patients will say, I don't know. You're the, you know, you're the, you're the person who knows, like help me. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people have a sense of what they need. Mm -hmm. And so it, again, it's in that choice and mm-hmm. in the welcoming that they may have answers to that. It's not just like, oh, I'm the therapist yeah. and I have all the answers. So there's a lot of work. <laughs> One, and like, first of all, oh, how human of you to feel yeah. not good enough. That is yeah. like a cornerstone of the human experience. And of course we feel that way. And another thing is to think what, what changed my thinking was that the listening is actually the treatment. Yeah. Because people just need to be heard and validated. And so in listening before I would have thought I was wasting time. And now listening is the goal. (laughs) That is the purpose is to listen to people and to hear their story and to believe them and to validate them. And that's that. And how regulating is that? Because let's think you and I are both pelvic health. Like that's where we tend to do most of our work. Uh, How many of our clients have seen how many doctors by the time they've made it to us and they don't feel listened to. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I have added into my assessment, this, this cue for myself to remind myself because I'm human and I will have moments where I get stressed and activated and crap, what do I ask next? So I have cues on my paper, you know, because that keeps me regulated. I like to have it on a paper, um, is asking them like, what is, your experience of this problem. So not like just what is the problem, right? But what is your actual experience of that? Cause that then asks a deeper question. And in order to tap into that, you really got to like slow down and like in the body emotionally. And that's where I find I get that uh, additional information that helps them express more fully and where it allows me the space to then hear mm-hmm. and repeat back so they know I've heard mm-hmm. 
And then we have that moment of acknowledgement of being, you know, being seen, heard, validated. The nervous system settles down. It's like, okay, this person, okay, I can, I can talk to this person. Yeah. The rest of the subjective goes deeper because we've established that safety and trust. Exactly. Well, and, and another thing to add, um, because again, talking to practitioners on here, if you, when you regulated yourself talking to that person by calming down, slowing down your breath, being aware in the moment of what your body was doing, that was helpful, but still you probably had some of that fight flight in your body. And so I now find that I also need to practice in between clients, either like shaking out my, my limbs or like in the car on the way home, letting out a scream, things like that, because my, my body still wants to mirror them and respond to them. And yes, I have the awareness to be able to regulate usually, but I still have the built up energy inside of me. So I'm, I still need to do everything that we're talking about. Right. So kind of my funny, my funny story that I, I, because I teach this technique to my patients and I, I do this like, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell them this thing, like, okay, so I'm going to teach you this technique. And you know, like when you get into bed and you finally calm down and then your mind goes, hi, (laughs) let's talk about what today was like and, (laughs) and what you should have done. And then what you should have said and what you should, you know, when it's like you, you put your head down and all of a sudden it's like, now you're going into rumination and magnification of the day. Mm-hmm. So what I have discovered and I say to my patient or I'll say, okay, so I get out of bed and then, uh, you know, my, my, my daughter still likes to sleep with me. Thankfully she's mm-hmm. fully asleep, but I'll, you know, I'll say like, if you sleep with a spouse or something, you might need to leave the room. Um, or just be prepared. If your spouse wakes up, they might think you're a little weird. Mm -hmm. Just forget that part. Like you, you, this is, this is important for you. Yes. And, uh, so then we laugh at, you know, we laugh about, I was like, just, you should probably warn people if they might see you that like, this is a technique and like, you're not (laughs) having a problem here. Still have you. Well, yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, and if you need to, you could put on Taylor Swift shake it off and make it fun. Mm -hmm. And then I literally will get out of bed and I will start with my hands and then the elbows, then the shoulder, then I'll start like kind of jumping up and down. I literally pick up one leg and I like shake the whole thing out. Then I do the other Mm -hmm. leg. And then I like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going into a full body and I'll say to them, I don't know how long you need to do this for. You basically need to do it until you feel like you can't do it anymore. Like, like that's enough. Like that's boom. That's enough. And I'm done. Yeah, exactly. And then I'll say, take a hand on your heart, a hand on your belly. And then I want you to feel that elevated heart rate. And I want you to stay with that elevated heart rate. And I want you just to breathe with it. And you're going to keep breathing until your heart rate stabilizes. So don't like try to jump back into bed, like really honor that response and like, wait till it settles down and then I'll get back into my bed. And all of a sudden, all of the brain activity has quieted down. So then I put my head down and generally in most cases, depending on how activated I am, I usually fall right back. I like, I usually fall asleep then. Cause I've, 
I haven't given my mind the energy. I've taken the energy and I've dispelled it from my body so that my mind doesn't have any more energy to feed into the, I shoulda, woulda, coulda, this is what I'm going to say, do tomorrow. So it takes me from the past. Mm -hmm. It takes me from the future. And it's like right here, right now, I'm putting my head down on this pillow. Well, and think of that too. It's, it's sort of completing the stress cycle. Um, yeah. In a way, because you're lying there thinking that the tiger's coming in any moment. So you're thinking, well, what should I do about this tomorrow? Should I plan this? Should I do this? You are thinking of all of the weaknesses, right? And like, where is the threat? Where are you vulnerable to threat? That's yeah. the shouldas. Where was I vulnerable to threat? So you're in that mode in bed and then you can, you like get all of the, you convince your body that you ran away or you fought it. And then you get in bed and you're not scanning for threat anymore. You're not scanning for vulnerabilities. And so, therefore it's actually safe to go to sleep. But yeah. you know, I'll say to my clients, like I I'll say, if you were up in a tree hut and you have a lion circling your tree, like, are you going to go to sleep? I wouldn't go to sleep. Cause I'd be like, well, no. what if it climbs up the tree? Yes. <laughs> Exactly. And you'd be thinking, oh, is the floor strong enough? Will that trap open? Like, oh, I should have done this. I should have bolted it down. I should have done this. That's where that comes from. Of course, we're thinking should have, because that is how we protect ourselves against vulnerability. Yeah. Yes. Except that in the moment, in the present (laughs) moment, I'm in my bedroom Laying on a fluffy pillow, right? Like, but even, you know, that's what presence does is like presence brings us like, what's here? What's, what's right now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is there actually like a threat there? Right. So very yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, we're sort of talking about assessment. Uh, I'm curious about, you know, treatment aspects, like how does, the polyvagal theory, you know, how does that sort of inform how you approach, you know, we're, we're talking generally, I mean, this is not a course, which -hmm. we'll talk about your course very soon for Mm -hmm. practitioners, but, but, you know, I'm curious about, you know, some examples, uh, of how you might incorporate the thing like trauma informed care and polyvagal theory. Yeah. Um, so, Okay, I'll try and go through these without getting too massively in depth. In all of them. I'll try. I'll, I'll try to slow you down if that's Thanks. the case. <laughs> yeah, tell me to take a breath and a pause and notice what's going on in my body as I'm speaking. Um, so I would say globally, I've really changed to take a strength and resilience approach versus a dysfunction and a weakness approach, and that's been massively different than what I learned in school. So that's globally. I also have a greater focus on self-compassion, which to me is the way to reconnect to your body. And similar to that quote with Dr. Gabor Mate, what he was talking about is our our true self is whole, right? And so that self-compassion helps me and hopefully others to connect to the fact that like we are human, we are trying our best, we are whole right? So that that's a those two things are very big in what drives everything that I do. From the assessment perspective, I have more open ended questions, for sure, um, that allow people to tell me what they think is important. 
Um, some of the questions I can think of, I'm on mat leave right now, so I sort of, it's not as fresh in my head, but some of the questions I would ask are, um, when you are in discomfort, how do you manage? What are your yeah. management tools? I might ask, what is your support system like? I might ask, uh, what brings you joy? Do you do anything that brings you joy? Um, do you do anything playful? I might ask that as well. Um, yeah, those would be the new questions. I do ask a little bit as I go of like, is there anything that you can think of in your life that felt traumatic to you? And some people just answer yes. And I don't, I don't probe because I don't need them to disclose it to me unless they want to. It is an open-ended enough question that if they want to tell me about their trauma, they can, but I do touch on it there. Yeah. Um, and that had me think of like some of the questions you are asking. Um, you know, I, I, I have revisited um, the Dims and Sims from a different perspective now. Mm -hmm. where sometimes it can be helpful for our clients to understand threats because they may not connect some of the things in their environment, the people, the places that are being perceived as threats. Mm -hmm. So it's more to just help them see, oh, okay, this, like why the biopsychosocial perspective mm -hmm. Um, but I don't focus in on the dangers. It's more right. for like an awareness tool Yes. that if you don't have awareness, you can't change. Now, some of those dangers you can change some of the dangers you cannot, Yes. but you want, like, I, I would still want to bring and shed light mm -hmm. rather than it just stay sort of all inside. Um, but the safety, mm -hmm. right. I want them to think about the opposite side. And then it's like, how can we strengthen your, so you've listed all these safety things, mm -hmm. you know, on a scale of zero to 10, like how much do you incorporate them into your life? Right. Right. And how can we use those safety things in conjunction with the management tools you're working? And how can I add additional tools mm -hmm. in that management strategy in supporting you with the safety parts mm -hmm. so that you can feel like you can handle it, right? And I don't know if you, if you've, I don't think we explained Dims and Sims yet. You might have oh. been in their podcast, but so Dims and Sims, essentially the theory is that Dims is danger in me, Sims is safety in me, and the theory would be that when the danger is greater than the safety in you, you experience pain. And when the safety in you is greater than the danger in you, you don't. And so we experience we want... it less, right? Yeah. He has it's it like a... as a protectometer yeah. meter from zero to 10. So how much yeah. does my body need to protect me right now, exactly. depending on where my body lives? Yes. And so the balance is changeable. You can change that. And it, even if you can't change the danger in you, you can always change the safety. So 
it's very empowering. Yeah. And it gives you two ways to do it. You can either decrease the dangers or increase the safeties. Yeah. Sorry. I just thought we should maybe talk. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. I was like, did we not talk about it? Maybe, maybe in my mind, maybe because I got my head into the top and bottom down. And I was like, oh, right. Already talked well, and that. also my mind, I forget things that I've said five seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> so please, baby brain is a real thing. So maybe we did. Um, but but yeah. Dims and Sims might be a good example of like a top down. Right. Approach as well, where we're like yeah. mapping things out, bringing awareness mm-hmm. to then making a different choice. Yeah, we're making we're different planning. choices, but you cannot change something that you are not consciously aware of. Like right. you don't get conscious choice if there's like subconscious things happening. So, you know, often yeah. they'll say when you bring something forward and into your conscious awareness yeah. from that moment, you can now make a different choice. You And there's exactly. the empowerment piece. Brene Brown was talking about, oh man, I can't remember what podcast it was on a podcast. It was great about discernment and being able to make choices that you can only make choices when you feel safe. So you're exactly right. If you, if we can bring safety in and take away some of the threat of pain, then you can discern all your options and choose which choice is yours. If you are in an unsafe feeling or threat, you only see a narrow window and that's escape or safety, right? Like you're trying to get there Anything else is blocked out. You need to get to safety. And that is why when something happens in your life and then five hours later, you, or, you know, two weeks later, you look back and you're like, I should have done this, 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 and this. Well, that's because your focus (laughs) and threat is super narrow and you don't have access to the greater possibilities because in order to access that, you need to feel safe because the prefrontal cortex or the neocortex, the outer part of our brain that's super smart goes offline right when we are in threat and we go into our more evolutionarily like our more primitive parts of our brain yeah we we use the only things that are needed exactly we, like prioritize survival is all we care about because and so actually in discussion with that when I think about how I use that in my practice. So, you know, I have a group program on digestion and bowel dysfunction. And so I'll talk about the polyvagal theory, like from an energy conservation perspective, if I have to fight or flight, is digestion important in that moment? No. Is my, um, uh, you know, is my libido and my, my hormonal regulation in that moment important? No. Is, um, you know, my immune system going to be busy healing something when is there's a potential that I might get it. It's going to do something different. Mm -hmm. And so our other physiological processes Mm -hmm. get put on pause. Mm -hmm. And so we know IBS, for example, is a nervous system dysregulation, right? How do you go from sort of constipation to diarrhea? Well, if you think about the nervous system, if I'm in fight or flight, I'm going to, I need storage. I need energy. Mm -hmm. If I'm in life threat, I don't, you know, like if you think about a child, when they get so scared that they pee their pants, Mm -hmm. that is, they have nothing. That's the kind of freeze response. So understanding Mm -hmm. that our, 
other bodily functions and processes are influenced by our nervous system. Everything. And so yeah. uh, education around that piece, around, uh, you know, yeah. bowel dysfunction, around digestion. And we know, like, if you have issues there, you're going to might have issues with your pelvic floor and your bladder is going to have an overactive bladder. Again, how much is overactive bladder nervous system dysregulation? Pelvic actual pathology. Yeah, exactly. So pelvic floor in general, right? We know that when we feel threatened, even perceived threat. So there was the study of the women watching scary movies there. It's a movie. It's not real but they still have the nervous system response of stress and threat and their pelvic floor is the first muscle to contract. So if we think of that, like the pelvic floor is in every stress aspect, of course it's to do with pain sensitization. There's so much stuff that it's related to. And I would argue that unless we can create safety with our clients first, we could be the threat to their pelvic floor. That's right. And we won't get a clear assessment because they'll be protecting regardless because there is no safety yet established, right? If we're, if we're rushing to the internal pelvic floor assessment without establishing safety and trust, then that client will always show in protect mode. You're not going to get, and they probably won't come back. Yeah. There, you're not going to get a good contraction because a muscle that's tight can't really contract more. You're going to get discomfort. So then that's going to create some pain, right? Yeah. There's a rant. Yeah. Well, no. And I mean, I just had a client recently come, you know, and again, this is not about like blame or shame or like you've oh done gosh, something no. wrong. And I used it's, to do, I used to do it too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, yeah. You know, and I would, especially like with vaginismus or whatever, it'd be like, I mean, I would go slowly. I wouldn't be like, go there first. It would be like, start on the outside, move on the inside, but they would be on my table with their knuckles turning white. And I didn't have enough attunement, enough skill. And I didn't know that that was like a barrier to what I was trying to do. And so we wouldn't be able to really move forward because- That was, and sometimes it, it wasn't that they didn't come back. It's like, we just weren't able to move forward with what yeah. needed to happen because I didn't have enough knowledge at that time or enough skill at that time to be, to, to really foster a sense of uh, safety. And yeah. so when this client came in and was like, you know, I really don't want to do internal. I mean, thankfully she, you know, she, she told me she that that, that yeah. was her experience. And I said, no problem. And so we really went into choice. We really went into discussion. We, you know, I said, at no point am I going to spring an internal, you know, when you come in, it's like next visit. It's like, we're not doing anything internal next visit. We're following up with the exercise we did today. We're going to do some different exercises and then we'll talk about it again. And then we'll talk about it again. And so I'm slowing it down establishing trust and safety. And there's so much we can do externally that can, we can do so much with pelvic floor externally. And if virtual physiotherapy has not taught us anything, I mean, it's taught me everything about how to support people with pelvic floor dysfunction without touching them. And there's so much we can do. 
and the polyvagal theory too, and the nervous system, if you have a nervous system that's functioning in like a resilient way and it can go in and out of fight or flight and come back to safety, your pelvic floor is pretty good. It's typically the nervous system that's related to dysfunction in my experience, clinically at least. So we can do all of the nervous system stuff without even doing an internal. Yeah. So there, there is a lot that you can do without needing to do that. And, and there are of course situations where it's very helpful, but I think this has given me like a massive range of things that I can help with without doing that. And, you know, I have to sort of give kudos here to, you know, uh, Carolyn Van Dyken, right. For really, um, bringing forth like the biopsychosocial and, and the different ways of, of treating and her continued dedication to supporting us physiotherapists to, uh, treat in out. We're resistant to changing the way we do things in physio. Mm -hmm. And certainly the pandemic really highlighted that for me, like, yeah, physiotherapists that are very, very manual therapy based were like, Oh my God, how, how can I even they weren't able to transition into virtual because that skill set wasn't there. And part of the problem is, is we value physiotherapy as being manual therapy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we do so much more. So as new grads, we're looking at like, how do I get better in my manual therapy skills? How do I get better in my manual therapy skills? And we're really resistant to learning techniques that aren't manual therapy, because we also have this thought and I still struggle with this thought. So like, I'm still in working Mm -hmm. on this day to day is that like, I have to physically do something or have to touch my patient to get them better. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that that's what they believe they need to. Like, I think to myself, this person's coming in and they expect me as a physiotherapist to do manual therapy. And that's not actually always the case. In fact, you know, again, in some cases with especially pelvic floor, like they don't, they're not like, yay, let's do an internal today. Yeah, you know, case with pelvic floor. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like yeah. I'm certain our patients are not exactly like ecstatic about it. <laughs> right. So it, it does require a lot of reframing, a lot of challenging our own beliefs, challenging the way that our you know, our profession, I mean, it's important, like in the two years, like they need to teach us the manual therapy skills. We need to know how to assess and do certain things. If they started adding in all this extra stuff, I mean, our degree would be, you know, 10 years, right? right. So, so understanding that when we first come out, we don't have those skills set yet, but it is important for us to start looking at these other skill sets because we're so much more than just manual therapists. Yeah. And, and so like a question that I've been asking myself is what if all this manual therapy that I learned and that I do is just influencing the nervous system to bring safety? What if that's all of it? because there's not a ton of evidence that would say we can be super specific in the joint or anything like that. And like visceral mobilization, we don't really know if we're actually 
affecting the viscera except through the nervous system. So maybe, Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So is all of the hands-on manual stuff that we're doing just a, a doorway to get into the nervous system and give a client an experience of safe touch and calm their nervous system. And so I've started to try and explain it that way to clients that like, this is an option for you. And you have many options of this at home for yourself too. You can give yourself safety with a warm bath and feel the warmth on your skin. You could put facial moisturizer on your face and give yourself an experience of safe touch that way. Just a couple examples there, right? But but I've I'm constantly now asking myself, and I I haven't been able to prove myself wrong. Like when I when I ask, is the manual stuff I'm doing doing anything more than just influencing the nervous system? And I so far haven't found ev- evidence that it's not. Like I I don't think we're doing anything else. But I yeah. I don't know. I'm still open. I'm still curious. Still asking. Yeah. But I think that's the important thing for us to be doing is asking ourselves. Yeah. Those questions, are we doing right? What we think we're doing or are we just maybe providing like safe touch? On that note, please tell us about your course. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's with Pelvic Health Solutions and uh, it's becoming a resilient practitioner with a trauma sensitive practice. And I think that uh, all of this is kind of a great intro to it. It's my goal would be to kind of, as we've spoken, in order to be a resilient practitioner and avoid burnout, you need to be able to be trauma-informed because it takes care of you too. Oh, I don't think I'd still be a physio right now if it wasn't for the trauma work that I do. Right. And understanding how to support my nervous system Mm -hmm. to do what it needs to do for my regulation. Otherwise, yes, my physiology is going to change and potentially deteriorate. And then I can't show up for anybody who needs me. Well, and with the pandemic, we're seeing more and more people that are traumatized anyways. So then we have to hold that space. It's, it's a lot, right? And so the course will talk, it is going to talk about how to take care of yourself and clients and all the stuff that we teach you to help yourself is also something you could teach clients, right? So it kind of goes together. Um, and I would say that the, we do go over a little of polyvagal theory, um, more my interpretation of it with the the lights and how to keep a compassionate um, strength resilience focus. Yeah, when is it? When's the course? April 20th is the first day, I think. Okay. When the third Wednesday, let me double, double check. I think it is, yeah. And then it's for four weeks on a Wednesday night. Okay. So any practitioner who's listening, if you go to pelvichealthsolutions.ca, you'll see the course listing there as well. Um, Yeah, it's linked on my Instagram, I think too, at physio.robin, R-O-B-Y-N. Yeah, and we'll put 
we'll, we'll find the links and we'll put them in the show notes for um, people to be able to access that. Um, you were doing something new too. You were going to tell me about. Uh, well, one of the things, I mean, one of the things that I'm doing that is incorporating this type of, um, approach. And so I combine it obviously with my physiotherapy skills, the things that we've learned to support, to help, you know, constipation. Well, if you're bloated, if you have inflammation, if you have pain, just because it's related to your digestion and your bowel function doesn't mean we can't support you with dealing with the unpleasant sensation. So I actually run a six week Mm -hmm. online group physiotherapy program, uh, specifically for that, that touches into like our first session is all education. Like I go through and I explain, I use lots of diagrams because again, you know, even Stephen Porges says like the medical system should help patients understand how things work. Because when you understand, it's not good enough for me to be like, you should, you should, um, you know, drink X amount of water or like you should exercise for 20 minutes. I understand that I should do those things. Like I know because yeah. people say the same thing, but it's like, how is that actually impacting me? So that yeah. again, I can make a different choice or I can make it a prioritization, you know, how is me connect with people? Yeah. Yeah. Like how is me eating foods that are irritant actually like impacting my receptors and how do my receptors then like, how does that turn into pain? Yeah. So pain neuroscience and, and polyvagal theory and the whole thing, because my approach is a whole body biopsychosocial approach. It's top down, bottom up, and it's using exercise. So when I say, okay, we're going to do this X movement based exercise, it's not going to make you stronger or more flexible. What it is going to do is stimulate your nervous system, stimulate the location where your nerves are located. The digestive system loves compression and stretch and twist and turn. And so as you're moving, you're supporting your system. If you're moving, you're telling your body, your body's important. And so that's, that's kind of how I'm, uh, incorporating, uh, this, this, uh, I'm just finishing up. I just finished my third cohort. And so the group stays nice. for people and the feedback I've gotten is like, at first you're like, you know, do I talk about this with other people? So no, because we do the talking in our one-to-one assessment, but in the group, you share what you want or don't want to share, but people share how they're implementing, what their responses they've noticed, which begins to create a sense of safety for others to ask questions and share. And you're, you're learning and you're, we're collectively holding space for like, you know, it's been a tough week. It's been really stressful and I haven't been able to sleep. And then, you know, we kind of chat about that and others offer, well, you know, this is what I've found or, you know, what I do. And then I offer my perspectives. And, and so we're collectively working to create resiliency and, and, and strengthen things that are, that are working. So I'm doing it from that perspective. And of course I am incorporating everything that I'm learning in my one-to-one practice. And then now my, my new thing is I'm an entrepreneur. I run a business. The pandemic for business owners has been really hard. Like not only do I have to take care of patients and deal with the collective trauma and my collective trauma around that. But then there's like the financial stress. And then is my business going to survive this? And like, how do I take care of all the people that work for me? And how do I show up 
in new ways and innovate and become creative. And all of that creates a lot of stress and a lot of threat. Mm -hmm. And it also, as an entrepreneur, brings up those core beliefs and brings up patterns. And, you know, I'm trying something different, but I'm immobilized to take action. Yeah. That's in the nervous system. So I started, you know, as I, you know, me doing my trauma work is about was the motivation was behind trying to be the best version of myself as a mom. And then like, how do I become the best version of myself in the marketplace? Like, how do I show up in the marketplace and bring the value and support the people I need to support? But if I don't show up or I can't show up because there are things in my nervous system blocking me, well, then I'm not making the impact I want to make in my world. Mm -hmm. Or what if like my business is going good and then I get to my goal and then I'm like, I'm really unhappy. I've worked all, you know, I've put my health on hold, my relationships, my everything, because I wanted to make six, seven figures and I finally got it. And now what? And now what? Right. Is there something more? And so my whole thing, my whole question now is how can we reframe our entrepreneurial journey as my business is the vehicle or my business is the opportunity, like the, the things I do in business are the opportunities actually for me to come back home to myself. So it's actually, how is my business part of my healing? So my Mm -hmm. thing is, is how do I come back to being whole and how do I come back to feeling like I'm making impact and I I feel really good and in alignment and heart centered, you know, how do I, how do I get to be with my values and not it, it be about, well, I have to hit this status. I have to hit this um, financial figure. And we can see the great resignation. People are leaving high paying jobs where it's, I think we've made everything about the money. And so we're all chasing after the money. And I understand money is important. So I'm not saying it's not important, Mm -hmm. but in the process, what is the opportunity for me to work through the things and the blocks within me? And how can I show up authentically in my business where it doesn't overrun my life and it doesn't put my health on the line and it doesn't put my relationships on the line, your values and yeah. But there's like a, there's a body, there's a, there's a nervous system response here. There's a lot of threat. So me showing up on social media could be a threat, but to not be on social media is also not great for, you know, an entrepreneurial journey. People, how are people going to find you and follow you and see if they're, they align with you? You have to show up. Oh, what if 100% relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. But what if that's a threat? And so you can't do it or when you do do it. So one of the things that, um, for me, for my nervous system is like, okay, Madeline, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pull our energy together. Okay. You're going to, you're going to bring the hustle and you know what you're going to do. You're going to listen to really motivational YouTubes and you're going to get that energy pumped up and you're going to, you're going to pump yourself up. And I took all of my energy to pump myself up and I'm going to have this fantastic launch, this masterclass. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to show up and I show up and literally a day or two, either before or immediately after the masterclass, whether the masterclass went well or not, I went automatically into a dorsal vagal response. I immediately went into a freeze response because I had expended 
my energy. It was too overwhelming. I completely overrid any part of my body speaking. Like I didn't listen. Did I need to sleep? Don't listen. You're, you're, you're hustling, right? We got to make it. We got to make it. Otherwise I'm not a value. If I don't achieve it, or maybe if I do achieve it, but I didn't achieve the ultimate goal, I am not enough. It's never enough. Yes. And so I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to hustle it out that way. And then like crash for five days and hate my life. Yes. I like what you're saying. Yep. To be happy in my present moment and actually be present in my life, be present in my journey. And so I'm using somatic experiencing. I'm, I just, I'm about to complete, um, presence, um, the power of presence coaching. So presence coaching, and I'm doing embodiment coaching because I feel like, especially as women, we want to do business like men do it. Some people are good at that. I myself am pretending to be something I am not, and it is not in alignment with me and I am miserable. And that is not good for anybody. I can't show up as my authentic being. Yes. If I'm trying to be somebody I am not. And that, that whole hustle thing is like, you know, I've been really enjoying Gary V lately. He's just like, you just need to be a nice person. You just need to be you and you just need to show up as you and make sure when you're showing up that it's something you like to do. And you just keep doing it because it is helping you grow personally and it's part of your spiritual development. And it's right. part of discovering who you are here and what is my contribution to the world. And when I think mm-hmm. of that being the horse in front of the cart, it, the money is the bonus, right? Mm-hmm. If, if the money comes because of those things that I love, mm-hmm. then I'm going to appreciate and be able to be with that. But if I'm kind of coming at it from the wrong place, not in alignment, because maybe my value and my worth and all of the things stuck in my body, then I'm not showing, I'm not showing up in the way that I can. And when I look back at my life, it's like, great. You worked really hard though. Mm-hmm. Is that what you value most? And so it really comes into looking into the value. And so I use body intelligence as a way of helping people become present, come back into their body, tap into the subcon, like tap into the expansiveness, the opportunity, like we were talking about. You can't have creativity and innovation in your business if you're under threat. Because totally. all you can see is a very narrow focus. And exactly. how many business yeah. owners had that when the government said, shut down your business. And you're like, that was, I remember, like, I, I literally did. flew in from Costa Rica the day after my clinic got shut down. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm now in quarantine for two weeks. Like I, it, it, I had no, I could not see any yeah. possibility for the first two weeks because of the level of threat that I was under. hundred percent. You're right. So that's my new thing is I'm, I'm starting a coaching practice for helping entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals, people who want to do business a different way that isn't just run by our our intellectual mind. It's great to have it, but what if that intellectual mind actually was regulated to open up 
through the body. So it's like a mind body approach to doing business a different way. And I just want to find a different way to do business than the way we've been doing it because we are so disconnected and fragmented. And that's why we don't care about the environment. That's why we don't get along with others because there's no safety and we need safety for social engagement and to feel like we're actually connected to something greater. I like that a lot. So that's, that's like, that's my mission now is like, how do I support people? And those are the, those are my people that I want to be around so that we can collectively come up with ideas and solutions and like change the way that we're doing things. Like the old way is just not for me. It's just not work. It's a paradigm. I want no part of right now. It's like, I I want meaning value and alignment. And I want to like, feel good about my contribution to the world. Yes. Sorry. That was a really long rant there. That is (laughs) exciting. It's a lot to talk about. That's wonderful. I think that's great. I can't wait to hear more about it. Oops. Yeah. So we're, I'm like, I just registered the business name and I just finished like a women's circle. So I'm going to wait for some feedback on that. So I've been beta testing. I have a course, like a foundational course I'm working on right now to like help people just get some basics. Like you're saying, it's like, well, what is the polyvagal theory and how does that relate to business? Right. So I'm going to have that. I know there's going to be like a membership where it's going to be community because we need Uh, community. We, if you're an entrepreneur and you're doing it alone, not a great place to be too hard. It's too hard. Don't do that to yourself. Community. We really, really need community now more than ever. Um, and so then um, the next step is like getting the website up and getting the one-to-one coaching. So, I mean, I'm certainly ready to do it now, but I just don't have an official website yet. Um, but that's like, I'm really excited about this. I'm excited for you and I'll be watching for it. Yeah. Great. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on here. And thanks for everybody to like, listen to our discussion back and forth. We hope it was of value and (laughs) as you know, planted a seed or given an open perspective that there's kind of more that we can do than just our hands. Uh, And we'll put the course link and your Instagram link into the show notes. I'll put my Instagram link there. So if you do want to, if you're a business person, you want to talk, let's talk. If you're interested in my digestion course, that's already in my, uh, bi- in my uh, bio link. And thanks everybody. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast because you don't want to miss conversations like this. <laughs> Nerd out with us. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Robin. This has been Thank like an you. absolute pleasure and we'll be connecting. Enjoy. I'm certain very soon. I agree. Thanks Maddie. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.